Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right. Hey, good morning and, uh, and welcome. All yeah, all right. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Have a good day. You always want to end on a, he- on a high note, so uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs> hey, my name's Fritz. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad you're with us. If you are a guest, thanks for being here. Uh, really glad you're with us today. Um, it's going to be a great... It's already been a great morning. We're going to continue to do that as well. Um, I wanted to let you know, just the church family, because you don't always hear uh, these stories, and so uh, I wanted you to know that over the last three weeks between Lighthouse Community and Bluffton Community, we know two things. Uh, we know at least four people have said yes to Jesus as their forgiver and leader, and five people have been baptized just over the last three weeks. So isn't that so exciting? Yeah, I think that puts us just this calendar year. We know like over 60 people have come to faith. We've baptized like 20 or 25 people just this year alone. It's just been absolutely remarkable what God has been doing in this church family. And so thank you for what you're doing, for praying, uh, for inviting friends, to talking to people about who Jesus is in your life. And I wonder, I want you to kind of think for a moment, maybe back to a time, and uh, have you ever been caught in a dangerous storm, right? Maybe, maybe it was a thunderstorm or a windstorm or a snowstorm, something like that, but some kind of a storm you got caught in and you knew uh, this is not normal and maybe even got a little bit scared in the process. I know for me, I was in high school, I worked at this little uh, restaurant, some of you I know have been there in Port Clinton called Jolly Roger. And so uh, I worked there all throughout high school and uh, one spring day, uh, this storm came in out of nowhere. I mean, like winds going crazy, uh, Uh, sirens are going off, rain, just craziness. I mean, people just left the restaurant. They left everything. They left their perch. They left their walleye, right? So you people are crazy. Uh, But anyways, they got out of there. And so, you know, we're the staff. We're just trying to bring everything in off the patio. And, you know, I'll never forget, we had a lot of teenagers who were working there. And one mom came and picked up her daughter. And I'm like carrying this giant picnic table, you know, against the wind, trying to get in the back. And she like gets her daughter, pulls up next to me, rolls the window down and goes, just leave it. It's not worth it. And like takes off out of there. So, uh, yeah. So I was a teenager too, and me and two of my other boneheaded friends, we decided uh, we want to go see what it looks like out on the lake. So we went to the beach, because uh, our restaurant was right on the beach, and we went out there, and you could see four water spouts just dancing on Lake Erie. Uh, so the water spouts are tornadoes on the lake. Um, and we're going, wow, this is awesome. This is crazy. And probably like from here to the road of 224, all of a sudden, a lightning bolt struck right right on the beach next to us. So we're like, we're getting out of here. I blame the fact that my pants were wet on the rain, right? And so we got out of there. But that was, that was probably the, one of the scariest storms I remember. It was just crazy and wild. Uh, maybe you have a story like that in your own life. And, and those, you know, there's a level where we kind of go, okay, I think I know I can go a place to get shelter, right? There were places in our restaurant where we could go if something happened. And so there was still a level of, yes, this is crazy, this is dangerous, and yet I can still probably safely get out of this thing. But I wonder if you've ever been caught in a dangerous storm that's actually inside of you. 
right? Like the, the, the kind of storm within you that you, you, you would rather have the wind and the rain and the hail beating you than the thoughts and the emotions that are beating against your heart and that are beating against your mind. It's the storms inside of you that you're not sure that you can find shelter from those. I wonder if you've ever been there. And, and the reason that's important is over the last three weeks as we've been in this series, we've discovered some really important things like what a Messiah is and how Jesus fits all of the expectations from the Old Testament. He actually exceeds them as well. Uh, if you were here two weeks ago, you remember Ben uh, taught about the powerful and personal touch of Jesus in our lives. If you were here last Sunday, you know Larry, one of our elders, um, taught uh, about the contrast between fake religion and real genuine faith that changes people's lives. And today, uh, I kind of want to build off of that and continue talking about what do we do not only to make it through the storms of our lives, whether they be outside of us or whether they be inside of us, but actually how we can grow in the midst of those and grow through those storms in our lives. So if you brought a Bible with you, uh, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 8 or you can click over there on your device. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 8 today, uh, continuing on the series called The Anointed One, Discovering My Life's Purpose in Jesus the Christ. Um, while you're going to Matthew 8, I do want to take a moment and pray together. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, the reality is that there may be people who have walked in right now who they are in the midst of a storm, a storm in their family, a storm in their marriage, a storm in their work and their finances. Uh, maybe there are things going on inside of their hearts, their minds, their spirits. Um, and Lord, they are desperately looking for you to move in a clear and remarkable way. And so we are simply asking, would the God of creation, would the God of Jesus Christ, would God himself through Christ and the Holy Spirit come and move among this group of people in a real, intangible way. May we meet with you face to face in such a way that it transforms how we think, how we feel, and how we live. We ask these things through Christ, and everyone said... Amen. Okay, um, so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse 23, and read a couple of the next one. It says this, uh, Jesus, meaning he, then he got into the boat and his disciples follow him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. 
Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Now, when you're looking at this account, one of the things that jumps out very clearly to me, just as a general uh, principle that becomes clear, is that Jesus has authority over the natural and the supernatural. Okay, Jesus has authority over the natural and the supernatural. And so this idea of Jesus having authority over the natural, uh, they're going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they get in a boat, they're, they're traveling, and out of nowhere, this furious storm shows up. And by the way, I think it's amazing, Jesus is asleep, right? I, I don't know why he's asleep. I don't know if he's proving a point. Um, I don't know if he just wants the disciples to leave him alone. Uh, I don't know if maybe that day there was so much, because if you look at the passages before, there's so much ministry that Jesus is doing. He's teaching, he's healing, he's, right, he's, he's walking with people, he's helping to expose where their motives are, all of these different types of things. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus is just exhausted, if you've ever been there, so exhausted, you can sleep anywhere, right? I have six kids living in my house. I can relate, right? Like Jesus is just asleep. And what kind of a storm was this? Because these were fishermen. This was not uncommon for them to be on the water, even during a storm. So this must have been some remarkable storm that these fishermen are afraid. They're so afraid they think they're going to die. Right? And they're calling to Jesus. And what I love about it is Jesus gets up and he calmed the storm and he calmed the waves with a rebuke. Right? Now that word rebuke, we don't use that word a ton in our regular everyday language. And so what a, a rebuke is, it's a strong disapproval. You see Jesus um, rebuking the storm. You see Jesus rebuking Peter. If, you re, if you've read the account where Peter says, you know, you'll, you'll, I'll never let anybody kill you, Jesus. I'll never let that happen. Jesus says, Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God. Right? Uh, Jesus rebukes demons. And so this is a really strong disapproval. And so Jesus is like, hey, this isn't cool. I'm not allowing this storm to go on. And with a rebuke, the storm stops. And it doesn't say over time the waves finally calm down. It says immediately the waves, right? This is, they stopped. There was calm. This is a supernatural, like, like Jesus has authority over the natural. And the disciples are looking at this. And, it, and Matthew says that they were filled with wonder. They were amazed. They were in awe. And when he uses that word, what he's communicating is there's still this uncertainty among the disciples of, who is this guy for real? We've never seen anyone do what Jesus is doing. And, and it made me ask the question, you know, that these disciples are thinking about, is how much more is Jesus than I currently understand him to be. Think about that. You ever thought about that for your own life? How much more is Jesus than I currently understand him to be? Yes, he's a profound teacher. Yes, he's compassionate. Yes, he's a miracle worker. All of those things are true. And yet, he's so much more than all of those things combined. And so whatever you think about Jesus... Whatever I think about Jesus, I can guarantee you he's more than that. How much more is he than how we currently understand him? 
Well, Matthew shares that account, and then he goes right on to this next one, where they show up on the other side of the lake, and as soon as they show up, two demon-possessed men come out of the tombs, right? They're like living among there. They're violent, like nobody even wants to go around that area of the lake in the region. They're just kind of doing their thing by themselves. They come out to Jesus, and these demon-possessed men, it's actually the demons, they recognize who Jesus is, right? Isn't that amazing that the demons realized who Jesus was before the disciples, right? They said, son of God, what are you here to do to us? Are you here to torture us before the appointed time? That tells you they know their defeat is coming, right? It's coming. They know it's on the way. And they're like, is it now? Have you come early? Have you showed up to do that? And Jesus, with one, think about this, with one word, Jesus calmed the men. With one rebuke, Jesus calmed the storm. With one word, Jesus calmed the men and sent the demons out of these men. What Mark, when Mark shares this account, what he says is, these men, this man was in his right mind, right? In his right mind. Can you imagine to be so filled with inner turmoil, even to the point of demon possession, what kind of chaos would these men have been feeling internally? What have been going through their minds, through their spirits, right? Nobody wants to be around them, right? They're, they're isolated, all of these things. They know, like everything, that the way that they're living, it's wreaking havoc, and they meet Jesus, and with one word, can you imagine what it felt like to have that kind of freedom? To be set free, from that inner turmoil, to be set free from that chaos, that they thought, who knows how long these men live this way? They probably thought it was impossible. We'll never be able to be set free. And in one word, Jesus does what no one else could do. This is who he is, right? This is who he is. And so the herdsmen, they leave and they go into the town and they tell the story about the pigs. And I love what Matthew shares. He says, hey, they told him the story about what happened and they included what happened to the demon-possessed men, right? It's like, that's the story, right? The story is the freedom of the demon-possessed man. But it's amazing. The herdsmen, they're like, hey, uh, listen, something happened to the pigs. It wasn't us, right? It was not us. And so they're gone. You get down to the beach, and there's bacon floating. You know why, uh, right? And so they're explaining how they're not going to get into trouble. And so it says, all of the people come rushing out to see Jesus. They see what Jesus has done. And they ask him to leave. They ask him to leave. They see the pigs floating in the water. They see the men in their right mind. And they ask Jesus to leave. This town would rather have the pigs than Jesus. This town would rather have the money that the pigs make for them than to have the Messiah. You see this? They would rather have the economy and the wealth that's generated than to have the king of kings himself among them. And they ask him to leave. What areas of my life am I asking Jesus to leave? Jesus, I know you want to do something there, but please leave that alone. Jesus, I know that's not really in alignment with your character and what you desire for your children and your redeemed people, but please leave that part of my life alone and let me do what I want, right? Is there something 
that if I could have it, I would actually want it more than Jesus. Is there something that if I could actually have it, if I could attain it, if I could work for it, if I could have the gift of it, if somebody would just give it to me, is there something that I would rather have than Jesus? These are the kinds of questions that get raised up for me as I'm reading these accounts, right? And I'm working through these in my own life. But the people asked Jesus to leave. And do you know what Jesus did? He left. He did. He left. But what I love about what Mark records about that account is he says he sent one of the men, who, right? He wanted to go with Jesus. Hey, let me go with you. Let me be your disciple. Let me be your follower. And Jesus says, no, you stay. You go back into that town and you tell them your story. You tell them what God has done for you. Be a witness to the mighty work and move of God in your life. And he leaves them so that there's someone there who can share the gospel with them. Now, when you look at these accounts and you see Matthew's recording this uh, calming of the storm and the sea, and then you see Jesus having authority over these demon-possessed men, um, or the, yeah, the demons in these possessed men, and he casts them out. The, you know, the question then becomes, why is Matthew sharing these accounts with us? Clearly, you know, the answer is the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to do that. But there's also, why does the Holy Spirit want us to understand these accounts and what's behind them? And I think the driving thing that Matthew and the Holy Spirit wants us to understand about Jesus based on these two stories that we've read this morning is this. And if you miss this, right, you're going to miss what the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of the New Testament, all of the Old Testament, you're going to miss what the driving factor is for all of Scripture. And this is the point that Matthew is making through these accounts is Jesus is God. This is the point. Now, I know for many of us, we go, yeah, yeah, I know that. I've, been, I've known about that since I was like a kid growing up in Sunday school. Yes, but Matthew is freshly bringing it up again. Jesus is not some great, just some great teacher. He's not some just humanitarian. He's not just an amazing guy who can do some cool miracles. This is God himself showing up. Matthew is making the point that Jesus is the same God of the Old Testament who has authority over nature and over supernature, right? This is the same God when you go all the way back to Genesis chapter one and you see him creating the entire universe with his voice voice. This is that same God, right? Paul writes about him in Colossians chapter 1 when he says this, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The him is Jesus. He's saying this, this is the God of creation, Matthew is drawing our memory back to Exodus chapter 14. If you've heard this account, the nation of Israel has been set free from Egypt and slavery, and now they're in front of the Red Sea, and Egypt is coming to collect them back and bring them back, and they're all going, what are we going to do? And what does God do? But he splits the Red Sea, right? Psalm 106 records it. It says, he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up, and he led them through the depths as through a desert. This is the same God 
who led Israel out of slavery. This is the same God of the Psalms in Psalm 65, 7, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. This is the same God of Psalm 89, verse 9, that says, you rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. This is, this is that same God. Jesus has shown up. Jesus is the God who has all authority. Right? This is why in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, after Jesus has died and then he's resurrected from the grave, right? He's about to ascend to heaven. He gathers his disciples together in Matthew 28, 18, and he says this: Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? Paul writes in Ephesians 1.21 that Jesus is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And he writes again in Philippians chapter 2 that therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This this is what Matthew is helping us to understand through these two accounts. This is not some guy. This is not some profound leader. This is God in the flesh, the one with all authority, the one who has the power. By the way, the one who has the power to rebuke all of creation. I want you to think about this for a moment, right? Humanity disobeyed God, right? We, we rebelled against God and God with one word could rebuke all of creation. And what I mean by that is he could destroy us. He could destroy all of creation with a word and he would be right to do it. It would be righteous. It would be holy. It would be praiseworthy for him to do that. He could repress sin and bring peace with a single word, but he does not do this. Rather, God is unselfishly committed to his creation. We turn our back on him. He refuses to turn his back on us. And so the one with all authority used his authority and used his power to die in our place for our sin so that we could receive the gift of his righteousness, so that we could see with clarity how good and wonderful and mighty God is. This is how God has chosen to use his authority, to to humble himself, to, to lower himself, and to take on a burden, to take on a debt that he didn't even rack up. And this says how much, how committed he is to you and to me, that he laid down his authority, his very life, so that we could be set free from the violence and the fury of sin. This is what Jesus has done. And when you begin to see that, you realize that Jesus really does have authority over the natural and the supernatural. And it's life-changing. And so... You, you look on that and you see that beauty and you see that amazement. Right? We're just like the disciples. We're in awe, 
right? You're just amazed. You're filled with wonder looking at this going, what? This is incredible. So then the next question goes, well, then well, what do I do with that? How do I respond? What does that look like? I think there's a couple ways, and I just want to draw out two uh, very quickly. I think one of the first ones is, is if you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, even if you're not, I think it's this, is that you can follow Jesus into the storms of this world, right? And, and I do think this is specific for those who have already said yes to Jesus. These are the disciples. These are the people who recognize this, this is God himself. He's shown up. He has all authority, all those things. But being willing to follow Jesus into the storms of this world. You have to realize that what sets this whole thing off is that Jesus is willing to go into spiritually dark places. He is willing to go to the other side of the lake with people who don't know who God is, people who are living very, very different from uh, what God would expect, and he, choos- he chooses to go to the other side of the lake. And I think as followers of Christ, we have to go with him. All right? We get in the boat, as Larry talked about last week, and we go with him. And here is where it gets really practical, that as a church family, we believe that God is calling us to the other side of 224. Right? Like we're on the south side of 224, and we sense that God is calling us onto the north side of 224. And what you might not realize is this, is that our region is filled with spiritual darkness. Our county is filled with spiritual darkness. Now, you might go, well, how is that possible? That can't be the way. The reality is, is that spiritual darkness gets masked by things like wealth, and it gets masked by things like religion and good citizenship. And so what it is, is you have a, a many people who are very affluent and who are trying to build respectability in our community. And so they show up to church or they do good things or whatever, those types of things. But re- the reality is there is spiritual darkness abroad in our county. It's rampant. And so we are building a new church home so that there is more room in the boat, right? There's room for more people who are struck with the awe of Christ, who want to see who he is, that they can get in the boat as well. And I want you to imagine just for a moment, right? You can close your eyes if you want, or you can just, you know, imagine it as I kind of share. Imagine a place in the future, the not too distant future. Imagine a place where you're able to pull into this like clean, clearly marked level asphalt parking lot, right? That isn't under the threat of being, you know, 75% of it being lost to the flooding of the Blanchard River a couple times a year, right? Imagine being greeted at the front door by people who are smiling and holding the door open for you. And as you enter into the welcome area, there's this low buzz of excitement and activity. You see children running around and playing, and they're excited, and, and people are hugging, and they're, and they're shaking hands and greeting one another. You can smell the faint aroma of coffee in the background, and so you head over to one of the tables to get a cup. This is like a warm, welcoming space. It's a lot like, like your friend's living room in their home. And for those of you who have children, they're like tugging at your hand as they're pulling you to the lighthouse kids wing that's in the same building as everything else. You arrive at the check-in counter and you can easily see into the wing. It's clean. It's orderly. It looks like a lot of fun. You can actually hear music, you know, bopping down the end of the hallway that's just calling kids to come down there. And at the same time, you recognize this level of comfort on new families' faces when they see the safety and the security 
that's involved there. And you remember the days when our kids used to meet 350 feet away in another building. It was safe then, but it feels even more secure now. Every child has a classroom designed just for their age and stage of life. There's actually this specially designed room for moms who are taking care of their infants to do that and still stay engaged with the main service if they want to. As you're getting ready to make a quick pit stop to the bathroom, you pass by the new student ministry center on your left, and it's like it's got this huge garage door that actually opens up into the welcome area that just screams, hey, if you're in middle school or high school, you belong here. You see people getting ready to gather in the classrooms as they're launching our next round of what is baptism class and the saying yes to Jesus class. You walk into the restrooms, you go, wow. These are big. They're nice. It's like 14 units between the men's and the women's. It's like there's all kinds of room in here, right? It's like this far cry from the small cramped water closets on US 224. I don't even know if all the lights work in there, right? So, and you enter into the worship center and something catches you by surprise. It's larger than our old one, but it's not huge. In fact, it's, it's homey. It's inviting. It's warm. And you can see the stage. You don't have to go around somebody's head to to catch the guy who's teaching that morning. And, And the music sounds just a little bit different. It seems fuller. It's probably because that room has been specifically engineered to broadcast sound evenly throughout the space. The aisles are wide, and there's plenty of room to worship God in all his glory. There's spaces for prayer to take place among the leaders all around the room. All of a sudden, you feel a tap on your shoulder. You turn around, and it's your friend from work, Sarah, and her family. They, they made it, right? You have been inviting them for months. You remember inviting them when we were back on US 224, and they always said that they would come, but they never did. But there was something about this new building that told them, we should go and check it out. And you're grateful because now there's more than enough room in this building because before they would have been lucky most Sundays to be able to get a seat together. And as the worship service comes to a close, Pastor Matt gets up and he announces that in the last three months since opening our new building on County Road 99, God has led over 100 first-time guests through our front doors and 35 people have said yes to Jesus as their forgiven leader. And that's why we're celebrating baptism next week. So you definitely don't want to miss it. And you begin to think about how God has really used this new ministry center in a special way. And you remember being nervous about the change. You remember being uneasy and uncertain about what will this mean for our church if we go to a new building at a new location. But as you experience everything you do, you realize this is still Lighthouse Community. This is the same family. We just got a bigger house because we needed to have more room for our bigger family, right? That's all this is. Everything else is still the same. We're just creating space for the family to grow. And so we we are following Jesus to the other side. We're going, right? Like this is happening. It is taking place. And I don't want to paint a, a, a picture like everything's fine and we won't have any challenges and everything will go perfectly the way that we hope and we intend. The reality is, is it's probably going to be rocky along the way. Probably going to get a little bit windy. 
right? There's storms that are going to be brewing. I have a thought that there is going to be an adversary who is going to push back and bring spiritual battles, not only against our church, but even some of the individuals in our church as well, to try to crush what God is doing among us. But we're going to follow Jesus together to the other side because we're a family and Jesus is the head of this family and we're going together. I think that's what that looks like for us as a church. But when I think about these stories, I also think that there's a level where Jesus speaks to us as individuals. And when we look at him calming the storm and we look at him setting these demon-possessed men free, I think what it speaks to us is that you and I as people can trust Jesus to bring peace into the storms of our lives. The ones that you and I have walked in with today. And we don't know how we're going to get to the other side. And the waves are crashing over the boat. And we're crying out, Jesus, I'm drowning. What do you do? What do you do with the storms you're facing? The ones inside of you. The gripping fear that wakes you up in the middle of the night. The sin you're wrestling against. The emotional hurricane that's swirling around. The marriage that's falling apart that you never thought that would. You're still looking for a job because you got the notice that your position doesn't exist at the end of this month. And you feel like you're going to die. What do you do? I think you do what the disciples did. You call out to Jesus. You cry out to Jesus because he's the only one who can lead you through those storms. He's the only one who can grant you shelter from the storms that live here, the storms that live here. He's the only one because he is the God of creation. He is the God who calms the waves. He is the God who with one word rebukes demons into submission. This is God in the flesh. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. This is Jesus. And Jesus will be your refuge in your storms. And he will bring you through. And he will bring you to peace. I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And ask Jesus this one question. Jesus, what are you saying to me right now through this message? And I want to give you an opportunity to listen to him. God, as I think about the things that you have already done, the way you've described yourself in the scriptures, the things I know that you can do, I can't help but think about the thousands of people in our county who they they don't have the hope that I cling to. 
They are clinging to something else. They, they are in a boat that is going to sink. And it's already on its way. God, we, we together as a family are crying out on behalf of our county, on behalf of our cities and our villages and our neighborhoods and our schools to ask the God of creation, the God who has power over the storms, the God who is able to cause demons to submit with one word, the God who used his authority to lay his life down for a rebellious people. We're asking that God, would your Holy Spirit move in such a remarkable way as to empower your bride, your church with strength and with courage and with purpose to go to the other side of our street, to go to the other side of our classroom, to go to the other side of the office or the factory or whatever it is that we're, we're, we're working at. And we would go and we would reach out with the same compassion to people who they're deeply looking for it but they've been told to look in the wrong places. And there are people who, if they could clearly hear the gospel shared with them through someone who loves them, they would say yes. They would say yes, and they would experience the same joy and the same transforming work that those of us who have already said yes to you experience today. And so will you move your church to do your work by your spirit? One of the things we love to do here is to pray for one another. And so the band's going to come up and they're just going to lead us in one song. It's not a very long song. And during that song, we're going to have prayer leaders who will be available in each corner of the room. And I'm going to ask those prayer leaders if they'll begin to make their way to the corners. Uh, I think many of them are wearing a badge uh, along these lines. And they're going to head there now so that you know they're ready to pray with you about anything at all. And so this is a time for you to encounter the Lord and to lean on him and to pray with another believer. And, and I know there's things that happen. And, and I'm just asking that this time, um, if just, you know, unless you have an emergency, just nobody leave and just kind of really stay in this moment and, and focus in on what the Lord wants to do. And if you want to pray that at any moment during the song, you just step out of your aisle, you head down to one of the corners. And what you'll do is you'll come up and you say, hey, will you pray for this? And they'll do it. And they'll do it. They love to do it. That's why they're there. By the way, have you ever stood in a corner waiting for somebody to come and pray with you? I have. <laughs> Sometimes it's like one of the most nerve-wracking things in the world. And so I want you to know how much these prayer leaders are actually putting themselves out there, right? It's not easy to stand up in a corner um, and put yourself out to be available to pray. And yet our team, week after week, does that. And so many of you leverage this ministry in a powerful way. And I hope you will this morning. Let me pray for you. And then I want to invite you to do the same. Let's stand together as we, as we get ready to worship and to move for prayer as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer right now in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. 